I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Treehouse, episode 52. Blimus, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Yes, an old friend for those who've been following us over the years, Blimus. Uh, very good morning to everybody. Here we go again. Another two hours of fun for old and young, without the slightest hint of vulgarity. And that's Louise Napoleon Pepper, the great-granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh on the other side of the table there. Uh, so uh, uh, we're going to, because we've got plenty to get through. Mm. Don't, don't forget, there's a major announcement at the end of this show. Don't spin forward to it. Um, so uh, there's, <laughs> there's a major announcement at the end of the show. Uh, so we'll, we'll get straight, as we always do, knuckle down uh, here on the Treehouse on, on show 52. Uh, there's one show for every week of the year. If, if you, I don't know what I said that as if that was a great bit of math. <laughs> but there it is. Uh, there's that now. There's not, it's, again, I, I cast the eye over various things this morning, but uh, I knew we had to crack on today. So, apart from anything else. Um, oh, my brother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Simon. Is it, Sorry, is it an anniversary in your family? I, uh, June is ridiculous. It's my dad. It looks like a lot of fuss about nothing. Oh, June. Uh, is, I'm penniless in June. Uh, uh, um, mine is coming up, by the way. Uh, yes, noted. Me and Todd Rundgren, who I noticed Todd's launching his own... Sorry about this, everyone. Todd Rundgren is launching his own uh, uh, sort of online station. Uh, Todd's... Oh, something, yes. yeah, I just saw that the other day. He's saying same sent, birthday. Sent your CV in? I, I told Todd when um, I've met him a couple of times, and he's, of course, a major hero of mine. Sorry, everyone. I said, I'm going to... say that's you, Peps, bringing in brothers' birthdays. We were getting right down to it. Anyway, um, and the first time I met him, uh, and he's exactly... Exactly 10 years older than me. He was born on the 22nd of June, 1947. And uh, I said to him, here's something. I said, uh, apart from I've known every note you've ever done. Yeah. I said, we have got exactly the same birthday. Okay. And that was it. That's all he ever said. Okay. He wasn't, he wasn't impressed at all. Anyway, John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. uh, a book I, I like to quote, but have never read. Never read uh, it. Dro- no, I can drop that in the conversations. Uh, but Of Mice and Men uh, today was published. And the original title he had up until the publishers really said, you sure you want to go with this? And he said, all right, change it then. It was going to be called Something That Happened. Oh. <laughs> that has got to be the worst title. That was going to be called Something That Happened. I mean, it's, I mean, I agonise over the titles of these shows. Oh, Steinbeck coming out with his classic, uh, Something That Happened. And they change it to <laughs> a, on Mice and Men. But the best of those is Peter Benchley's Jaws, which he gave to his uh, father to read. And his father said, are you sticking with that title? And he said, Jaws. I think he's well, unless you've got something better. And his dad read it and said, you should call it something's noshing on my leg. Right? 
honestly, that's not a problem. He really did. And you could look at it online, and they always spell it leg. Something's knocking on my leg. But it isn't. If you look at the original, the way his old man's dialect was, it's L-A-I-G. Something's knocking on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it probably wouldn't have helped the uh, the canon of Jaws and the uh, legend of it, but it's a great title, ain't it? <laughs> main thing, perhaps, and I promise everyone the show is going to come hurtling at you in a minute, uh, is the first recorded mention of the trumpet ever. It was first called oh. the trumpet, which is the... the, the, the uh, the history of that word is pretty obvious. It comes out French and all this. But in 1400, it's the first time you see it called a trumpet uh, because they had been around by then for 3,000 years. Uh, you had your Jericho, even though those technically were ram's horns, or your Shofar, if you don't mind. And then you had your Salpinks, which is a great name. Salpinks. Oh, we should have Salpinks, which was a five-foot-long straight trumpet used in ancient Greece, often accompanied by the Hydrolis, which was the water organ. I don't even know what water organ is. I know a water organ. Sounds great, don't it? But uh, that is that not like those <laughs> sort of uh, the, the, you know, the, the pan pipes? No, they must. It's it, it, but with water in. Wilbur's got some of those for the bath. Has he? Called a water organ. When we take a break, I shall come back with the water flutes. No. Oh well, I see. This 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 show is honoured and blessed. Uh, so you got the in ancient Greece and all of that. It was uh, various names, but in 1844, I love this quote. Uh, Berlioz, the composer Berlioz, mm-hmm. as opposed to the news vendor Berlioz, said, uh, notwithstanding the real uh, and loftiness and distinguished nature of its quality of tone, there are few instruments that have been more degraded than the trumpet. Beethoven, Weber, and not excepting Mozart, have persisted in confining it to the unworthy function of filling up. Now, he was furious that, uh, that the trumpet, actually, yeah, I know. Uh, and I've got to say, I agree with him, I think. Uh, and then it hit me that the trumpet is probably the only instrument that wears clothes. They have tassels hanging off them sometimes. Oh, and sometimes the little flag. Um, yes, they do. Thing. I can't think of another instrument that has, um, I'm not talking about a bass drum here with painting on it, no, but I think that the, uh, the trumpet, and this is as august a statement as I'll ever make, the trumpet is the only musical instrument that wears clothes. You see the fellows there with the livery and one hand behind their back. Mm. Especially the hunting horn, which is basically a trumpet by way of the salpings, with a big, like you said, a big flag hanging off of it. So you got that. And so what is the most famous piece of trumpet music? And I promise we're on with the show after this. What would you say is the most famous piece of trumpet music? We're going to, I'm putting you on there's, the spot. Is, isn't there, isn't there um, 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 trumpet voluntary, isn't there? There is the trumpet voluntary. I'm saying there's a... Yeah, is there trumpet voluntary? Certainly there is. Um, but uh, the most famous piece of trumpet music, and you'll immediately go, oh, you're going to feel foolish. And I don't like to do that to you. How about this one? Yeah, yeah, ba da ba da. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, your Coronation Street. Of course, it's the most famous piece of trumpet music. Certainly Isn't, in these. Um, all you need is love as well. That's a, that's a, it's a cornet at the end. Oh, is it? Lane. But come on. No. I think we must agree that the trumpet is. The, uh, the number one uh, on uh, on Coronation Street. So here we go. This is how it. Ha- this is um, uh, Eric Spear wrote Coronation Street. It's worth it, everyone. Stay with it. Eric Spear wrote Coronation Street's uh, theme tune. 
there's a very good thing on one of the Coronation Street fan sites, if that's not uh, degrading it too much. Uh, and it's, this is Eric Spear talking shortly after Coronation Street uh, launched about how he wrote the theme tune. It's wonderful. He said, I received a phone call from Manchester. What do I have lunch the following day? in Manchester, so I had to get on an aeroplane. I had a very good lunch and was shown a lot of test films for the various characters they were going to be using in Coronation Street, and they asked me to write the music. As usual, they'd left the music to the last minute, and the programme was going out in a fortnight's time. Well, that's standard practice. I was briefed very beautifully on it. They wanted something melodic, but not too melodic. They wanted something rhythmic, but it mustn't be jazz. They wanted something exciting, but it mustn't be too thrilling. And in the end, I was dragged out into the street and it was a typical Manchester day pouring with rain. And we looked up an alley, a bit like Coronation Street as it is now. And suddenly the sun broke through the clouds and the director said, that is the music we want. And I said, well, why didn't you say so in the first place and went back home and wrote it. And that beautiful. Wow. That's Eric Spear on how he, uh, he booked a friend of his, Stan Roderick, to play the trumpet. But Stan bailed out at the last minute, thus denying himself immortality, and asked his friend Ronnie Hunt to take his place. Later on, a, a trumpet player called David Browning said, no, I played that, but this was disputed by the Musicians' Union. Uh, so there you go. It's, uh, Eric Spear wrote it. Uh, Ronnie Hunt plays it and Spear, Eric Spear received his, his fee for writing it six pounds. No. Six quid for the Coronation Street theme Eric Spear got. Yes, he did. And that, I think, uh, apart from anything else about ancient Greece, justifies the trumpet. What are we doing today, Peps? We are still running our list of firsts. The first mm -hmm. thing that scared you, mm -hmm. the first thing you laughed uncontrollably at, mm -hmm. the first thing you bought with your own money, mm -hmm. the first date you ever went on, and the first holiday without your parents. Well, as usual, we've got, um, uh, thank you very much indeed. We've got plenty to say on most of those, but of none of our subjects ever closed. So give us something from over there, Peps. What have you got? Well, um, I read out last time about um, how someone's mum and also me had gone sledging on um, uh, uh, baking trays. trays. Yes, baking yeah. trays. And this is from Mark in North Shields. Growing up in the middle of nowhere, when it snowed, we'd go searching in the hedge bottoms around the corners of farmers' fields, not for ancient copies of uh, specialist magazines, although there were a few of those, oh. but for discarded heavy polythene animal feed bags. Mm -hmm. Polybagging was the thing in the cold, snowy winter of 78. You could reach Donald Campbell-esque speeds on the only legible <laughs> hill in the flat Trent Valley. The only time I've ever been knocked out was actually as a result of my uncle going to woodworking at night classes. He made me a sledge, a very heavy sledge. As the polybaggers whizzed by at speed, I remember trying to push a Ford Edsel of a sledge downhill <laughs> with my fat, spoilt childhood self holding onto the reins. With one heave, I was propelled forward half a foot in front of the sledge, which described a perfect arc before landing square on top of my bonce. Oh, lights out. The sledge then hung unused in the shed for a decade or so afterwards. Ah, Rosebud. <laughs> Beautifully written. Beautiful. I don't. So he found these uh, these feed bags in hedges, did he? Yes, and that was th that was the thing for speed. Uh, so I, 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 I've not noticed that. Uh, then again, I grew up in Deptford, and very few feed bags <laughs> from Potter's <laughs> horses would have been about. This is uh, from our friend Mark in North Shields. Uh, this is uh, uh, about the uh, longest piece of unfinished DIY in Britain. I think we may have a winner. I think oh, okay. we may have a winner. Uh, it says, we viewed a house which we subsequently went on to buy. The couple who were selling it 
liked a few sherries before luncheon apparently and did their own DIY. We had spent the last four we have spent the last four years undoing their squiffy efforts, dangerous wiring, wonky brickwork and wallpaper which frankly looked like human skin. (laughs) (laughs) When we viewed the property, the owners showed us their ensuite, which consisted of a shower tray in the main bedroom. Yeah, I'm uh, still installing that, replied our jovial host. They moved out the day before we moved in, and according to the neighbours, they'd had a screaming match in the street the night before because his wife didn't want to move. They left everything for us, everything, including their washing up. Hooking through their cupboards, we found a valuable stamp album, hundreds of 78 RPM records, and a seller's description of the house when they had bought it 30 years previously. There, in black and white, was the description of an incomplete shower tray in the main bedroom. He had not he had taken 30 years to not put in that shower. Thank you very much, Mark. That's something. And oh, that a, is a winner. Uh, a wallpaper that looked like human skin. I think I've told many times when we nearly bought a house in Norfolk, but we thought it was a murderer's house. We really did. We really did. It had, it had a terrible, terrible telltale smell. And one, we were walking around it and we'd already decided, well, you know, as soon as I opened the door, uh-oh. But uh, they kind of showed us around it, this couple. Um, and uh, then we went towards one. They went, don't go in there. And we didn't. And that mur- 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 when said murderers, murderers. We don't know. Maybe we should have taken action on that. Something else, perhaps. This is this is from Paul, and this is this is an old topic. This is what have you stolen? Mm-hmm. He says theft, or maybe you just. Stole oh no, this is this is just. <laughs> this is full on. All right. Probably could still actually be investigated. Mm-hmm. A friend and I went to France in pursuit of three hot exchange students from Le Touquet. Ah. After a few drinks, we got a train to Dover, which in those days used to rock straight up to the harbour. Being frisky 17-year-olds, we hadn't planned it out at all. We just aimed to get to Calais and thought we could blag it from there. He hasn't said what era this is, but I'm guessing it's the 70s. Getting there around... One second, one second, Pat, one second. Let me open the door and look at the audience. Yeah, be the 1970s, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there around our eleven thirty mid or to midnight, we'd meant we'd miss public transport. We started walking. I mean it could only be sixty miles. Three hours later, cold and wet, it had started to rain thirty minutes in. And tired. My very best friend, a man who became a top military policeman, renowned for being a goody goody, announced he was thoroughly fed up and was going to steal a mini. Oh. I should point out, he had his own mini car keys with him and said they were easy to break into. Now, my parents inadvertently did this in the 70s with a mini. What do you mean inadvertently? stole a car. Come on. That mini car keys opened other minis. You could just use your car keys for your mini to open other people's minis. My dad used to get into the wrong people's car in car parks because the keys worked. So obviously, Paul's mate knew the same. I laughed. He had never done anything wrong in his life before. So somewhere around Boulogne, I carried on tramping south. And after 25 minutes, I heard a car start. And lo and behold, up turns Tim (sighs) in French mini. I laughed nervously, but he told me to get in and I clambered in. He ragged it silly for an hour. We were idiots and eventually, yes, we crashed it. We had to run off and sleep the night at a bus shelter and got the first ferry home from Boulogne, convinced we would be arrested at French control. Three years later as a policeman, he shot me in the leg. (laughs) 
but that's another story. Oh, went on to be, went on to be a policeman as well. Oh. But the bit that stuck out for me was when he said it was only sixty miles, so we decided to walk, even with a few inside you. Sixty miles, just get your nut down for the night. Although that said, one of these times I will recount in full the time that uh, Danny Kelly and I got mixed up in a riot, and uh, uh, and Danny got admit to it, but he started crying at one point, and we thought we were going to have to walk a hundred miles because <laughs> when we went to the wrong country for a football match, another time that story will, will be told. This is from our friend Sean, uh, and it's uh, something I mentioned in passing probably a couple of shows ago. He said, I heard you talking about Victory Vs and Fisherman's Friends. No. no, no yeah, no, I don't like either of those, but see, we've had a groundswell of people saying, uh, you know, God's own uh, throat sweet or whatever they're supposed to be. He says, when I was a lad, if I ever got a hint of a sniffle, my dad would always pluck out from the medicine box a packet of Potter's Qatar pastilles. I don't know these. The word pastille frightens me. Mm. Uh, Potter's Qatar pastilles. I cannot describe how utterly rancid these were. He used to make me put one in my mouth and stood watching me as I sucked this hideous, lo- hideous lozenge. The taste was indescribably bad. It cannot be described. <laughs> Years later, I checked the active ingredients, and one of them was creosote. I have no idea if they still taste as hideous or whether they've been toned down, but you can still get them. I find them horrific. Now, I bet there, there are Potter's Qatar pastel junkies out I'm there. I'm ordering some. Uh, oh, no, no, it's no. got to be tried, surely. No, uh, no, the Victory Vs, they should come with a little pair of tongs and it, so you can put them outside the back door. But this is I think those are the most extreme tastes in what we might loosely call confectionery. Something else, Peps, let's whiz through these. Uh, this is from Aaron in Wolverhampton. Hearing Louise say she used to check the £20 notes of snobby customers at the photo lab in Boots. Ah. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Reminded me of the time my brother and I were in a police lineup. We've asked about police lineup. Oh, I've never met anyone. I've never met anyone who has done jury duty, anyone who's ever been at the top of the pops, or anyone who's been in a police lineup. I, th- I thought they only existed in sketches and that. All right. Well, friend. He said this took place over 20 years ago when we were rather more hirsute than we are now, and we looked like Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. <laughs> Whilst walking around Wolverhampton, we were approached by a police officer who asked us if we would take part in a lineup as we bore a passing resemblance to the suspect. He said we'd get a paid a tenner each for the privilege. Being poor students, we accompanied him to the nearest station and were led through to a small room. We were lined up with a mixture of other 70s metal band members and joined by the person I assume was the suspect. After the formalities, the police paid my brother and I a crisp £10 note. It was at this point that my brother chose to check the note for its veracity and held it up to the light in full view of the officer. I could see him now squinting up at it while the bemused constable watched. The sheer brass neck of his gesture will stay with me forever. <laughs> that, uh, that's nerve. That is some nerve. Right, but uh, almost on point of uh, uh, taking a break. But this has been hanging around a few weeks and this is, uh, this is I, I, I mean, our sad music is, which we, don't, we always try to look up, not down. We're a good deed in a wicked world. This is from our friend Kevin in Maidstone. He says, my story possibly comes under things you've broken in a shop, but not really. <laughs> uh, more like, have you ever been cursed? Or, what's your worst holiday ever? Knock yourself out, Kevin. Do whatever you want. My story starts when I'm in my late teens in the 80s and had just fallen madly in love with my now wife. Oh. I'd had a hard upbringing. One parent family, I was always clothed via jumble cells. I didn't care. 
I've been on a day trip to France with a school once, and other than that, though, I'd never been abroad. So when a relative passed, leave, passed away, leaving me with a small amount of money, I decided this was my chance to broaden my horizons. Wanting to impress my then-girlfriend, my wife now, I said I'd like to take her on holiday. It was November, so where to go was limited if we wanted sun. However, Cyprus was picked. It looked good. I paid for it and couldn't wait. Two weeks before, I'm walking down Wick Street in Maidstone when I'm approached by a woman who's forcing lucky heather upon me <gasps> in return for a donation. Well, I ignored her, but she shouted after me that I'd have a month of bad luck. Yeah, 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 I thought. Well, two weeks later, I'm parked at Luton Airport after checking in, and an announcement is made that our flight has been cancelled due to a strike in Cyprus. A replacement plane will be made available, but it will not be there for four hours. Oh well, I said to her, it's only four hours. The replacement plane, however, was a slightly smaller plane and six people missed out on boarding. Yeah, including me and Joanne. Oh, no. So a helpful rep tells us, sorry about this, but we can get you out tomorrow. An hour later, we are told, however, your flight's going to be from Manchester. You're going to have to pay yourself to get there. <gasps> we'll leave at six in the morning. Well, Kent to Manchester isn't a five-minute journey, so I made the decision, let's get a coach to Manchester then and we'll stay at a hotel at the airport and we'll fly first thing in the morning. I'm sure the holiday insurance will reimburse me on my return. That went to plan and we flew out. The hotel was great and it was gorgeous sunshine, perfect. However, the next day it was raining and freezing cold. And the next day, and the next day, <laughs> and the next day. Because of my age, I couldn't hire a car to go anywhere else, so we decided to hire a moped. We planned to go into the mountains, where apparently it was better, the weather up there, but the moped couldn't make it up the mountain, so we went back to the hotel. The hotel had a number of shops under it, and we parked the moped outside of one of them. Now, what happened next was in slow motion in my mind. Joanne said, can I ever go on the bike? And I, I told her how to work it, and she turned the key too quick. Anyway, she twisted the handle, and the bolt the bike jolted at the front wheel and made contact with the shop's place, plate glass window. A crack appeared, and another, and then another, then the whole thing just shattered and fell into the shop. It was a gift shop, and the shopkeeper was sitting behind the till and saw everything, meaning we couldn't do a runner. He was sort of okay about it, got a glazier out, but I had to pay for it, and this left us tight for money for the rest of the holiday. The rest of the holiday was very quiet, getting drunk on Uzo or playing cards, because it rained all the time. The last day, I'd saved enough for a lovely meal for Joanne and I. The day of coming home, we arrived at the airport to be told how flight was cancelled again. We had no money left. The hotel we'd just left was not helpful. A family friend shared some cornflakes and fish fingers with us. Towards the end of this day, we were told we could get a replacement flight that left 8 o'clock in the morning bound for Luton. After a lengthy coach trip, we ended up at Larnaca because Pathoff's airport was stressed up again with the strike. Our plane arrived. We were told we were being diverted to Manchester. No one from the holiday company greeted us there, and again we had to make our own way home. Fortunately, it was the days of checks and check guarantee cards, so that paid for the coach. <sighs> After this, if I ever see someone touting Lucky Heather, well, I don't buy it, but I do run fast the other way. That stuff's powerful mojo. What a wonderful story from Kevin. I'm sorry oh, if it's a little Kevin. downbeat, but I know. He's coming to a little money and decided to spend it on Joanne and a rotten holiday ensued. But, but scriptwriters are already parlaying this up. They are married today and it's the feel-good story of the year. The audience will be on their feet cheering at the end of that. Right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. 
Imagine a world, a world just like our own, but importantly, not our own. Is it the alternate dimension, or are we? And does it have podcasts? The Last Post. Hi, I'm Alice Fraser, bringing you daily news from a parallel universe. It's a sweet, sweet dose of satirical news coverage, some of which will sound pretty familiar. He defended him, saying he broke the lockdown rules on a father's instinct. And I just think if Boris had shielded his as much as he's shielding Cummings, he might actually be in a position to give parenting tips. And some of it is just pretty weird. Air in space is becoming much clearer, Alice. And it's quite shocking because there is no air in space. It's empty space. So join me every single day alongside great comedians from around the world, including Andy Zaltzman, Nish Kumar, Tiff Stevenson and Will Anderson. Good luck to you. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show. Radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain. Come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session. Wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And welcome back, everyone. I've been brooding a little bit, Peps. Mm. Coronation Street being the uh, most famous piece of trumpet music. Uh, I, I should have used the word, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, iconic. Which is oh, OK. It, is that because I'm thinking of the beginning of the William Tell Overture, which has probably got that trumpet there. Uh, it, it's, it's got more length on Nation Street, because I think it's at least 10 years older. But um, uh, in the meantime, you have been off. Yes, and, and I have learnt the coronation. No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got what is, uh, it, what's a, it's a water they flute. They are water flutes. So this should is. be E. Now, describe them for, for people who can't see. So they, they are like a little mini recorder. Uh Um, in five colours and you fill them up with water in the bath and play tunes or if you're Wilbur you just pretend to be a steam train over and over and over (laughs) but they actually actually have numbers uh, sorry letters so so the notes so you fill them up to the notes so this should be E this green one should be just about D Uh, this is A C Mm. Uh, that's the most steam train worthy and a G. It's how people listen to this on headphones. It's going right through them. Pick up that last one again. Uh, what was that? That was G, wasn't it? Hold oh, on. I, I was thoughtful enough to put them in a jug. There uh, mm-hmm. we are. Right, now give it a good pop. Go on. How's that for your headphones, eh? Uh, your your Sennheisers, how's that going? How's your Apple ear, earbuds doing there, eh? <laughs> and I know, you know what? I think you should have that to hand every time we think the show's meandering. Well, you actually be playing it all the time. <laughs> uh, and what's this one, Peps? You've got another one. You, you can't play that any was... tunes on them, I take it? No, well, it does come with um, uh, uh, musical sort of notes to learn. And I mm-hmm. did play... Um, is it Beethoven's Ninth? The do 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 do. Oh, do, I can play it on the piano. Do, do, do. That's the only thing um, I can play. I've on lost. The piano. I've lost the uh, thing, but I, I will. I will learn it. Uh, over the years together, you're going to hear Peps learn to play. If there's one thing by the end of lockdown, <laughs> I will have mastered the water flute. Thankfully and mercifully, we have a caller waiting to come on, oh, uh, and it's, it's our friend David, I believe. Is that right, Peps? Yes, David, save us from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you doing, David? I'm good, Danny. How are you? 
I couldn't be better, my friend. I, I, I used that kind of pat introduction just to make sure uh, you, you were there, because <laughs> it's not always been the way in, in these last few weeks. Uh, David, I can't tell you how uh, uh, pleased I am to have you aboard. Let me ask you this, David. Do you play any musical instrument? Uh, no, I don't. I have no musical ability whatsoever, but I was quite impressed by Pep's ability to play a depressed clanger there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how refreshing it is to speak, and let's be honest here, to a, a, a bloke. Because blokes say, well, I can't have played a guitar badly, meaning they, they're at it every night. Uh, but I don't. I literally don't play anything. I, I just mentioned I can pick out uh, Ode to Joy on, on the piano. I used I to play the bass drum in the, in a, the Boys Brigade London Did band. You? Did you? Oh, yeah. okay, well, was it on, on one mounted on the chest, or did you hold yes, it? Yes, it was one mounted on the chest. Yes. Oh, oh. the dream, <laughs> isn't it? Dum dum dum. Yeah. And then you kept pretty good time, did you? Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, if you were if you were kind of trying to get some sleep on a Sunday morning in Bermondsey when we were walking through there uh, doing. Oh, one on of those. The, oh, the boys' brigade coming down Silwood Street as I knew it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, in the school band. I mean, I was never in the school in the primary school had a school band for a while uh but people would eye that as they all lay over the floor and they'd say right we're going to pick who plays what and nobody wanted the triangle or that box of things you shake that makes a metallic noise uh and everyone had their eye on the old bass drum i was never lucky enough to get that so already you're elevated in my eyes david why are you why are you tugging our coat this morning what, what have you called him for so I want to share a story with you about my my granddad and his his attempts to try and clean uh, the chimneys where he used to live. Um, it was a I, chimney. Oh, now hang on. So don't mean it's too parochial, but this fellow is from my, my part of the world. Is. Did he live in Westlake Road or Silwood Street or round that way? Because I, I in, knew a... I live in Drummond Road. Drummond Road. Okay, yeah, uh, this means it's nothing it's to our audience. <laughs> They've already been tortured with uh, the water flute, and now I'm going into the minutiae of SE16. Okay, I know where you're talking about now. Yeah. Now, in Drummond Road, and this may be pertinent to everyone out there, used to be the most down at hill but delicious eatery in the world. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was called George's, and it was called the Hole in the Wall as well. That was at the end of Drummond Road, and it literally was a hole in the wall. A photograph of it I used on one of the tours, and anyone who knows the history of these shows knows it is the uh, genesis and birthplace of the story that ends with the uh, pith helmet full of Savaloys. Uh, and uh, so that was where you're talking about. Now, that's where the chimney sweep premises was, yeah? No, the chimney sweep was in Swan Lane buildings in uh, just off of Brunel Road. I know, that extraordinary building. Adam and Eve pub on the corner. My, yeah, my old which, man had his leaving the docks doing there. Well, so if you're a local, <laughs> Sorry, that, that's Brunel Road rather than Brunel. Yes, it, it, yes, it is. You are right. Okay. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let, let's proceed with the story, shall we? <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is a story that comes from a daddy who kind of grew up um, in the flats there with, with my granddad. Um, they lived one, one from the top floor. Um, mm -hmm. And in those days, those old kind of big Victorian flats there still had coal fires. So yeah. you needed every now and again to... To clean the chimneys out, obviously. Uh, now, Pop was a qualified plumber that had worked for, um, still worked for the council. Um, it, it worked on Rob Rice Women Bars, which is now Seven Island. But being a kind of practical man, he never won for a bargain. He didn't fancy paying for a professional chimney sweep um, and reasoned he could do the job perfectly well himself. Um, of course, working for the local council, he knew someone who knew someone, a drink could be exchanged, brushes would appear, enough said. The brushes ain't the problem, it's the extension rods. Let me tell you that. Yeah, no, well, you know, all that could appear as well with a, a drink in the right direction, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's 
he got all the, all the kind of brushes and stuff that he needed, and, and that Saturday he was ready to start this week. Um, being one fat from the top, um, each rod being about three foot long, should have been the case that half the rods he bought home should be plenty sufficient to do the job. Easy. Um, Dad was posted across the road to look for when the brush appeared from the top of the flats. My uncle crossed on the other block for the same purpose. So Pop starts his process, starts adding the rods. He's got about six of them up there. Came to the window in expectation. No, no sign of it, Dad. My dad shouted. My uncle confirmed it from the same window. Still no sign of it. That's a bit strange, thought Pop. But nevertheless, he kept on adding the rods just the same. After about another eight rods have been added, he goes back to the window. Still nothing from either of his sons. <laughs> so now he starts adding more rods. And by now, he's used most of them up. He's put about 50 feet of rods up to clean a 25-foot chimney. So we can't make out what that meant. Yeah. Goes back again to the window, still nothing. <laughs> he, he can't make this out now, you know, he's used up most of the rods. What, what's happening? The only thing you can do now is take all the rods back out again, which he does. So he pulls them all back out again. And as the last one comes out, something's clearly amiss, because there's no chimney brush head. Oh. Ah. Where's it gone? Mm. Obviously he tried to look up the chimney, but obviously he can't see anything, the chimney's black. So he does the only thing he can really do under the circumstances. He just packs all the rods away in the bag, seals it back up, ensures the bag makes its way back to the relevant council depot, and says no more about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing is ever mentioned again. Two years later... Oh, here we go. My dad, his brother and sister, and my grandparents are all sitting down to dinner. Pop light, mm -hmm. pop fire, and one is roaring away as they sit down. There then comes an almighty crash and a massive thick cloud of black stuff, which washes across the room like a pyroclastic cloud, settling on everything <laughs> and everyone it touches. The furniture, the table, the grandparents, the dad, even the budgie, completely coated. <laughs> and lying on the floor in front of the fireplace, the dent is buckled and scorched brass centre of the lost chimney brush. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, as anyone who's ever seen Laurel and Hardy's dirty work, we know that this beautifully described, you know, pyroclastic cloud, we know what it looks like. I was even expecting it when he said he looked up the chimney. I thought it was going to be the old Oliver Hardy, down come the bricks one by one, pop, 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 all onto the forehead. Uh, and and, and the, the harvest of this, the clean-up must have, well, it, it must be still going on. Well, it did take some while, yeah. I think I think Nan never quite kind of forgave him, really, and he was certainly never allowed to go anywhere near the chimney Man. again. Oh, David, the, um, uh, the, the, the mystery of where the 50-foot rod went as well, one, one blushes to think. Uh, I pictured it turning up in the flat upstairs living exactly room, just snaking around. I just, you know, people sit, people sit in there watching Take Your Pick, and then, oh, wow, what's that? Where did that come from? <laughs> exactly. Followed, of course, by your old man after it, the evening. <laughs> well, bless you, David. Thank you so much. That's a perfectly told him. Oh. Thank you very much indeed. Not at all. Uh, My pleasure. David, you're Bold and uh, uh, we'll give you information how you can do that because getting the calls on is obviously the one thing that uh, lifts anything after when it stops Peps playing a water flute for us. <laughs> anything, <laughs> give us something from over there, Peps. What you got? I've thrown them all to the floor while I was uh, play playing the old water flute, as it were. Mm. Uh, this is from. <laughs> Stuart Ferguson. This is uh, Living a Lyric. Uh, the first time I ever heard the track Has It Come to This by the Streets, I was driving my first car, a red Vauxhall Nova SR. As the lyric says, SR Nova, driving like a joyrider, mother warned you it's a sound system banger. It was a bit of an old banger. And my mother 
father on more than one occasion called it a banger and said the stereo was too loud and unnecessary. It had actually cost me more than the car. I can still remember as I heard this coming off the roundabout by the three blackbirds pub in Blackfen on the way to the Blue Anchor. It started a love of the streets. Come regards, Stuart. That's beautiful. And then this is a subject that is things coincidental uh, with uh, a, a song lyric or a scene of a film. And I've got a couple of those to come. Best ever was, of course, the fellow who really did ask somebody, pulled up and said, do you know the way to San Jose? No, I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't think that was apocryphal. Uh, our friend John's in touch here. Uh, and he's got, he's, he's trying to touch on uh, all, you know, all the firsts. He's trying to get, oh, wonderful. It's, like, it's not too long, but he it, it brings a sign from everyone. It's just uh, written down without, some of them aren't remarkable. He said, you wanted firsts? I'll try and uh, fill in all the gaps here. He says, the first thing that really scared me was cockroaches. We had a house uh, when I was growing up in Aberdeer, South Wales, full of cockroaches. The first thing that made me laugh uh, and, you, and made me want to go out and buy the single was as a seven-year-old seeing Ron Mayle perform on top of the pops. <laughs> And he went, well, this town ain't big enough for both of us. The first date I ever went on was Sarah. We went for drinks at the rugby club in Aberdeer. I drank too much and clumsily slipped on the stairs coming out of the place at the end of the night. My friend Mark had an uncle and aunt who lived in Penistone, South Yorkshire. This was my first holiday away. I was invited to go up there and spend a week without my parents. Pontypridd had a great shop that just sold jeans. I would go there to buy Pepe jeans. Yet after that, I cannot remember where I bought my clothes. But my first purchase for my own money was a pair of jeans in Pontypridd. I've left the trickiest question till the end. I can claim to be the first in my class to take an interest in the top 30. When I was in the top class in infants, be called year two today, I would run home on a Tuesday lunchtime to listen to the new chart. Up until 12.30, the new entries were played and big climbers between 30 and 6 would be revealed. Then, after Newsbeat, the top five in its entirety. We used to get 90 minutes for lunch, so I would run down, hear the rundown from 30 to 1 before returning to school. I would then go over all the chart positions in my head during the afternoon. I was obsessed with it. I wouldn't always remember the name of the band or the singer, but I would know that last week's 23 was up to 17 or whatever. I <laughs> know. The first two singles I bought were, as I say, Sparks, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us, and Killer Queen by Queen. Now, I can tell you, this is a fact. I remember that the chart history for these two songs was This Town went from 27 to 9 to 3 two, two, then four, then nine, then down to 30. Killer Queen came in at 23, it went up to five, went to three, then with two, then stayed at two, then down to five, went to nine, 29, and out the chart. I can do this with loads of records. (laughs) Even today, when watching things on TV and a music question comes up, I'm more likely to remember where a song went in the charts than I can its exact title. It wasn't until 1976 that I discovered that Aberdeer's co-op music department listed a uh, list of the uh, week's charts on its wall. I've got to save yourself some time, but I was in heaven. There we go. How about that? And that is a talent, ain't it? Wow. So and I don't I'm think... always impressed when you say something like, oh, Millwall played Liverpool yeah. in 1978 and it was 3-1. And so uh, uh, that is extraordinary to me. That, but that know. is another level. How about that? A, a, a killer queen went from 23 to 5 to 3 to 2, stayed at 2, then went down to 5, then to 9, 29 and out the chart. That! Now, come on, Gambaccini. Face facts, there's a real chart king there. That is superb. Something else, perhaps. Uh, this is from Keith. This is asking stupid questions. 
A bit of fun was had following some afternoon revelry in Indianapolis last October. While slightly in my cups, my wife suggested we head off to the local nearby Oktoberfest, whereby I could continue drinking and eat bratwurst and she wouldn't have to put up with me trying to cook. So as she drove us there and we were lining up to enter the festival, we slowed to a crawl and watched the pedestrians. A group of visitors were a trio of lederhosen-clad folks, fully decked out, feathers in their hats, looking like they'd just strolled off the set of The Sound of Music. Sensing my mischief, my wife Julie rolled down my window as I shouted out, Excuse me, are you going to Oktoberfest? (laughs) To which they stopped and without thinking turned round and said, Yes! Yes, we are. <laughs> you me oh, laughing uproariously as we drove away. Yeah, beautiful. Well, uh, uh, I don't know how long the show's been now, but I did say uh, we're going to make an announcement at the end of it. And so here we go. But <laughs> don't do a drum roll. Uh, this is the deal. This is the last show for a while, for a bit. This is going to be our last treehouse for a bit. And I, 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 yeah, I can hear people lamenting and renting their garments. But uh, it'll only be for a, a short while because we're uh, moving house. Uh, nothing to do with uh, Good friends at something else have been wonderful to us. But we've, we're actually kind of expanding. Now, uh, I don't know how people will uh, take to that. But if you follow um, me on Twitter, at Prodnose. And uh, Louise, you're, you're Twittered up as well, aren't you? At Lou Pepper, you, yeah. At Lou Pepper, there you go. And even Phil Wilding, if, if you like it produces the show we have to but we're him. we're uh, we're going to be a, a kind of yeah we're going to try and because we love doing this and we want to make a living at this racket uh, so we will be expanding and uh, apart from the shows and all the old shows you can get uh, there we're, we're going to continue doing these maybe even expanding them but like the last two tours i've done uh cradle to stage and good time charlie's back i'm the only person who has the audio to those you can hear them and they're going to be available uh i'm going to be doing um uh, the, the new book I've got uh, the new one, the latest one is going to be called Going to the Dogs. And you can only get it through once we uh, resurrect ourselves in another place and things like that. I'm going to give you guided tours of these record rooms. There's a, a, a daily blog. There's extra shows. You can even choose the records behind me in my Good Evening Everyone photograph. Uh, so we are just going to uh, vanish for a while. And uh, But I'd like to say that we actually love doing it. And the show's going nowhere. And I hope, I do hope uh, you can stay with us because it, it, it certainly will be worth it. I mean, even the... Uh, 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 Grave a TV series. I've never put out the audio to that where I can t- talk you through it and say, well, this this scene and what we did. This, oh, the director's cut or whatever. Yeah, you all call of it, that. The, the, There's all yeah. of that. But at the core of it, at the core of it, remains this Treehouse blog uh, and and that uh, this blog, this uh, this uh, uh, podcast, which will absolutely re- re- remain and probably even expand so that that's that that's the deal if we do disappear for a few weeks uh keep the faith because we are one happy man we are a good deed in a wicked world and uh anyway that that's the announcement so stay with us we're actually uh, growing up not out so uh play the theme tune there phil one, two three four three climb up go in let's cozy down Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away. In the treehouse. Take it away, Danny! 
Yes, indeed. Our dear friend Wisby, or I hope will be transferring with us there, of course, Louise Napoleon Pepper, uh, the great-granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh. And if that's not a T-shirt in our new merchandising shop, <laughs> we're, we're not on the ball. Uh, there's that Phil Wilding uh, producing it. The very good folks over there at Something Else for being good enough to give us this platform. And now, now look what we've done. Uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you to all of them. But as always, and I mean this, chiefly yourselves. Let's meet again a few weeks from now. Thank you, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.